Chapter Thirteen of Our Vanishing Wildlife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Our Vanishing Wildlife by William T. Hornaday. Chapter Thirteen. Extermination of Birds for Women's Hats. Footnote. In the preparation of this chapter and its illustrations, I have had much valuable assistance from Mr. C. William Beebe, who recently has probed the London feather trade almost to the bottom. End footnote. It is high time for the whole civilized world to know that many of the most beautiful and remarkable birds of the world are now being exterminated to furnish millinery ornaments for women's wear. The mass of new information that we have recently secured on this traffic from the headquarters of the feather trade is appalling. Previously, I had not dreamt that conditions are half as bad as they are. It is entirely fitting that on this subject New York should send a message to London. New York is almost a spotless town in plume-free millinery, and London and Paris are the worst places in the world. We have cleaned house. With but extremely slight exceptions, the blood of the slaughtered innocents is no longer upon our skirts, and on the subject of plumage millinery we have a right to be just as pharisaical as we choose. Here in New York, and also in New Jersey, no man may sell, own for sale, or offer for sale the plumage of any wild American bird other than a game bird. More than that, the plumage of no foreign bird belonging to any bird family represented in the fauna of North America can be sold here. There are only a few kinds of improper, millinery feathers that it is possible to sell here under the law. Thanks to the long and arduous campaign of the National Association of Audubon Societies, founded and for ten years directed by gallant William Dutcher, you now see on the streets of New York very, very little wild bird plumage save that from game birds. It is true that a few servant girls are now wearing the cast-off aigrettes of their mistresses, but they are only as one in a thousand. At Atlantic City there is said to be a fine display of servant girl and ladies maid aigrettes. In New York and New Jersey, in Pennsylvania, for everything save the sale of heron and egret plumes, a privilege obtained by a bunco game, in Massachusetts and in many other of our states, the wild birds' plumage millinery business is dead. Two years ago, when the New York legislator refused to repeal the Dutcher law, the millinery association asserted, and brought a cloud of witnesses to Albany to prove, that the enforcement of the law would throw thousands of operatives out of employment. The law is in effect, and the aigret business is dead in this state. Have any operatives starved, or been thrown out of employment? We have heard of none. They are now at work making very pretty hat ornaments of silk and ribbons, and gauze and lace, and they are wearing them. But even while these words are being written, there is one large fly in the ointment. The store window of E. and S. Myers, 688 Broadway, New York, contains about 600 plumes and skins of birds of paradise for sale for millinery purposes. No wonder the great bird of paradise is now almost extinct. Their sale here is possible because the Dutcher law protects from the feathered dealers only the birds that belong to avian families represented in the United States. With fiendish cunning and enterprise, the shameless feather dealings are ferreting out the birds whose skins and plumes may legally be imported into this country and sold, 
but we will meet that with a law that will protect all foreign birds, so far as we are concerned. Now it is time for the universal enactment of a law which will prohibit the sale and use as ornaments of the plumage, feathers, or skins of any wild bird that is not a legitimate game-bird. London is now the head of the giant octopus of the feather trade that has reached out its deadly tentacles into the most remote wildernesses of the earth, and steadily is drawing in the skins and plumes and quills of the most beautiful and most interesting unprotected birds of the world. The extent of this cold-blooded industry, supported by vain and hard-hearted women, will presently be shown in detail. Paris is the great manufacturing centre of feather trimming and ornaments, and the French people obstinately refuse to protect the birds from extermination, because their slaughter affords employment to a certain number of French factory operatives. All over the world, where they have real estate possessions, the men of England know how to protect game from extermination. The English are good at protecting game, when they decide to set about it. Why should London be the mecca of the feather curlers of the world? It is easily explained. 1. London has the greatest feather market in the world. 2. The feather industry wants the money. And 3. The London feather industry is willing to spend money in fighting to retain its stranglehold on the unprotected birds of the world. Let us run through a small portion of the mass of fresh evidence before us. It will be easier for the friends of birds to read these details here than to procure them at first hand as we have done. The first thing that strikes one is the fact that the feather hunters are scattered all over the world where bird life is plentiful, and there are no laws to hinder their work. I commend to every friend of birds this list of the species whose plumage is today being bought and sold in large quantities every year in London. To the birds of the world this list is of deadly import, for it spells extermination. The reader will notice that it is the way of the millinery octopus to reach out to the uttermost ends of the earth and take everything that it can use. From the trackless jungles of New Guinea, round the world both ways to the snow-capped peaks of the Andes, no unprotected bird is safe. The hummingbirds of Brazil, the egrets of the world at large, the rare birds of paradise, the toucan, the eagle, the condor and the emu, all are being exterminated to swell the annual profits of the millinery trade. The case is far more serious than the world at large knows or even suspects. But for the profits the birds would be safe, and no unprotected wild species can long escape the hounds of commerce but behold the list of rare, curious, and beautiful birds that are today in grave peril. List of birds now being exterminated for the London and Continental feather markets by species and locality. American egret, Venezuela, South America, Mexico, etc. Snowy egret, Venezuela, South America, Mexico, etc. Scarlet ibis, tropical South America. Green ibis, species not recognizable by its trade name. Herons, generally, all unprotected regions. Marabou stork, Africa. Pelicans, all species, all unprotected regions. Bustard, Southern Asia, Africa. Greater bird of paradise, New Guinea, Arrow Islands. Lesser bird of paradise, New Guinea. Red bird of paradise, islands of Boigu and Batanta. Twelve-wired bird of paradise, New Guinea, Salvati, Blackbird of Paradise, Northern New Guinea, Rifle Bird of Paradise, New Guinea generally, 
Joby Bird of Paradise, Island of Joby, King Bird of Paradise, New Guinea, Magnificent Bird of Paradise, New Guinea, Impian Pheasant, Nepal and India, Tragopan Pheasant, Nepal and India, Argus Pheasant, Malay Peninsula, Borneo, Silver Pheasant, Burma and China, Golden Pheasant, China, Jungle Cock, East Indies and Burma, Peacock, East Indies and India, Condor, South America, Vultures generally, where not protected, Eagles generally, all unprotected regions, Hawks generally, all unprotected regions, Crown Pigeon, two species, New Guinea, Chonkas, locality unknown, Pitta, East Indies, Magpie, Europe, Tuaku or Plantain Eater, Africa, Velvet Birds, locality uncertain, Grives, locality uncertain, Mannequin, South America, Green Parrot, now protected, India, Dominoes, Sooty Tern, Tropical Coasts and Islands, Garnet Tanagen, South America, Grebe, all unprotected regions, Green Merle, locality uncertain, Horfang, locality uncertain, Rhea, South America, Sixplet, locality uncertain, Starling, Europe, Tetris, locality not determined, Emerald-breasted hummingbird, Blue-throated hummingbird and amethyst hummingbird, West Indies, Central and South America, Resplendent trogon, several species, Central America, Cock of the Rock, Macau, Tucan, South America, Emu, Australia, Sunbird, East Indies, Owl, all unprotected regions, Kingfisher, all unprotected regions, Jabiru Stork, South America, Albatross, Tern, all species, Gull, all species, all unprotected regions, and Table. In order to throw a spotlight on the most recent transactions in the London wild birds plumage market, and to furnish a clear idea of what is today going on in London, Paris, Berlin, and Amsterdam, I will set out in some detail the report of an agent whom I engaged to ascertain the London dealings in the plumage of wild birds that were killed especially to furnish that plumage. As one item, let us take the sales in London in February, May, and October 1911, because they bring the subject well down to date. My agent's explanatory note is as follows, quote, These three sales represent six months, very nearly double this quantity as sold by these four firms in a year. We must also take into consideration that all the feathers are not brought to the London market, and that very large shipments are also made direct to the raw feather dealers and manufacturers of Paris and Berlin, and that Amsterdam also gets large quantities from the West Indies. For your purpose, I report upon three sales at different periods of the year 1911, and as those sales do not vary much, you will be able to judge the consumption of birds in a year. End quote. The aigrettes of the feather trade come from egrets, and, being very light, it requires the death of several birds to yield one ounce. In many catalogues, the word albatross stands for the jabiru, a nearly exterminated species of giant stork inhabiting South America. Rhea often stands for vulture plumage. If the feather dealers had deliberately attempted to form an educational list of the most beautiful and the most interesting birds of the world, they could hardly have done better than they have done in the above list. If it were in my power to show the reader a coloured plate of each species now being exterminated by the feather trade, he would be startled by the exhibit. 
that the very choicest birds of the whole avian world should be thus blotted out at the behest of vain and heartless women is a shame, a disgrace, and a world-wide loss. Table, London Feather Sale of February 1911 Sold by Hale & Sons Egrets, 3,069 ounces Herons, 960 ounces Birds of Paradise, 1,920 skins Sold by Figures & Co Egrets, 421 ounces Herons, 103 ounces Paradise, 414 skins Eagles, 2,600 skins Condors, 1,580 skins Bustards, 2,400 skins Sold by Dalton & Young Egrets, 1,606 ounces Herons, 250 ounces Birds of Paradise, 4,330 bodies Sold by Lewis & Pete Egrets, 1,250 ounces Birds of Paradise, 362 skins Eagles, 384 skins Trogons, 206 skins Hummingbirds, 24,800 skins If I am correctly informed, the London feather trade admits that it requires six egrets to yield one ounce of egret plumes this being the case, the 21,528 ounces sold as above stand for 129,168 egrets killed for nine months' supply of egret plumes for London alone. The total number of bird corpses auctioned during these three sales is as follows. Egrets, 21,528 ounces, is... 129,168 egrets. Herons, 2,683 ounces, is 13,598 herons. 20,698 birds of paradise. 41,090 hummingbirds. 9,464 eagles, condors, etc. 9,472 other birds. Total number of birds, 223,490. It is to be remembered that the sales listed above cover the transactions of four firms only, and do not in any manner take into account the direct importations from Paris, Berlin, and Amsterdam of manufacturers and other dealers. The defenders of the feather trade are at great pains to assure the world that in the monthly, Bi-monthly and quarterly sales, feathers often appear in the market twice in the same year, and this statement is made for them in order to be absolutely fair. Recent examinations of the plume catalogues for an entire year, marked with the price paid for each item, reveals very few which are blank, indicating no sale. The subtractions of the duplicated items would alter the result only very slightly. The full extent of England's annual consumption of the plumage of wild birds slaughtered especially for the trade never has been determined. I doubt whether it is possible to ascertain it. The information that we have is so fragmentary that in all probability it reflects only a small portion of the whole truth. But for all that, it is sufficient to prove the case of the defenders of the birds versus the London Chamber of Commerce. Import of feathers and down, ornamental, for the year 1910. Venezuela, 8,398 pounds, value in dollars, 
$91,058. Brazil, £787, $5,999 American dollars. Japan, £2,284, $3,830. China, £6,329, $16,308. Tripoli, £345, $900. Egypt, £21,047, $89,486. Java, Sumatra and Borneo, £15,703, or $186,504. Cape of Good Hope, £709,406, or $9,747,146. British India, £18,359, $22,137. Hong Kong, £310, or $3,090. British West Indies, £30, or $97. Other British colonies, £10,438, or $21,938. The above does not take into account the feathers from game birds received in England from France, Germany, Austria-Hungary, Belgium, and the Netherlands. As a final sightlight on the quantity of egret and heron plumes offered and sold in London during the twelve months ending in April 1912, we offer the following exhibit. Osprey feathers, egret and heron plumes, sold in London during the year ending April 1912. Venezuelan, long and medium. Offered 11,617 ounces. Sold 7,072 ounces. Venezuelan, mixed heron. Offered 4,043 ounces. Sold 2,539 ounces. Brazilian, offered 3,335 ounces. Sold 1,810 ounces. Chinese, offered 641 ounces. Sold 576 ounces. Total, offered 19,636 ounces. Sold 11,997 ounces. Birds of Paradise, plumes, with two plumes is one bird. Offered 2,385. Sold 24,579. Under the head of hummingbirds not wanted, Mr. Downham is at great pains to convey the distinct impression that today hummingbirds are scorned by the feather trade and the demand for them is dead. I believed him until my agent turned in the following statement. Hummingbirds sold by Lewis and Pete, London, February 1911. 24,800. Hummingbirds sold by Lewis and Pete, London, May 1911, 6,250. Hummingbirds sold by Hale and Sons, London, October 1911, 10,040. Total, 41,090. It is useless for anyone to assert that these birds were merely offered and not actually sold, as Mr. Downham so laboriously explains is the regular course with hummingbird skins for that will deceive no intelligent person. The statement published above comes to me direct from an absolutely competent and reliable source. 
Undoubtedly the friends of birds, and likewise their enemies, will be interested in the prices at which the skins of the most beautiful birds of the world are sold in London, prior to their annihilation by the feather industry. I submit the following exhibit, copied from the circular of Messrs. Lewis and Peat. It is at least of academic interest. Many thoughts are suggested by these London lists of bird slaughter and loot. It will be noticed that the breast of the grebe has almost wholly disappeared from the feather market and from women's hats. The reason is that there are no longer enough birds of that group to hold a place in the London market. Few indeed are the Americans who know that from 1900 to 1908 the lake region of southern Oregon was the scene of the slaughter of uncountable thousands of those birds which continued until the grebes were almost exterminated. When the wonderful lyrebird of Australia had been almost exterminated for its tail feathers, its open slaughter was stopped by law, and a heavy fine was imposed on exportation, amounting, I have been told, to $250 for each offence. My latest news of the lyrebird was of the surreptitious exportation of 200 skins to the London feather market. In India, the smuggling outward of the skins of protected birds is constantly going on. Occasionally an exporter is caught and fined, but that does not stop the traffic. Bird lovers must now bid farewell forever to all the birds of paradise. Nothing but the legal closing of the world's markets against their plumes and skins can save any of them. They never were numerous, nor does any species range over a wide area. They are strictly insular, and the island homes of some of them are very small. Take the great bird of paradise— Paradisia Apuda, as an illustration. On October 2nd, 1912, at Indianapolis, Indiana, a city near the center of the United States, in three show windows within 100 feet of the headquarters of the 4th National Conservation Congress, I counted 11 stuffed heads and 11 complete sets of plumes of this bird displayed for sale. The prices ranged from $30 to $47.50 each, and while I looked, a large lady approached, pointed a finger at the remains of a greater bird of paradise, and with grim determination said to her shopping companion, "'There, I want one of them, and I'm going to have it too.' Says Mr. James Buckland in Pros and Cons of the Plumage Bill, quote, "'Mr. Goodfellow has returned within the last few weeks from a second expedition to New Guinea. One can now walk, he states, miles and miles through the former haunts of these birds of paradise without seeing or hearing even the commonest species. When I reflect on this sacrilege, I am lost in wonder at the apathy of the British public. Mr. Carl Hagenbeck wrote me only three months ago that the condors of the Andes are all being exterminated for their feathers, and these birds are now very difficult to obtain. The egret and heron plumes, known under the trade name of osprey, etc., feathers, form by far the most important item in each feather sale. There are fifteen grades. They are sold by the ounce, and the prices range all the way from twenty-eight cents per ounce for mixed heron to two hundred and twenty-five shillings, or forty-five dollars and sixty cents per ounce, for the best Brazilian short-selected, on February seven. 1912. Is it any wonder that in Philadelphia the prices of finished aigrettes ready to be worn runs from $20 to $125? The plumes that run up into the big figures are the short selected coming from the following localities and quoted at the prices set down here in shillings and pence. 
Count the shilling at 24 cents United States money. Prizes of short-selected egret and heron plumes in London on February 7, 1912, from Lewis and Pete's list. East Indies, per ounce, 117 over 6 to 207 over 6, is $49.80 max. Rangoon, per ounce, 150 over 0 to 192 over 6, is $46.20 max. China, per ounce, 130 over 0 to 245, is $58.80 max. Brazil, per ounce, 200 to 225, is $54 max. Venezuela, per ounce, 165 to 222 over 6, is $53.40 max. The total offering of these short-selected plumes in December 1911 was 689 ounces, and in February 1912 it was 230 ounces. Now, with these enormous prizes prevailing, is it any wonder that the egrets and herons are being relentlessly pursued to the uttermost ends of the earth? I think that any man who really knows the habits of egrets and herons, and the total impossibility of any quantity of their shed feathers being picked up in a marketable state, must know in his heart that if the London and Continental feather markets keep open a few years longer, every species that furnishes short-selected plumes will be utterly exterminated from off the face of the earth. Let the English people make no mistake about this, nor be fooled by any fairy tales of the feather trade about Venezuelan garceros and the vast quantities of valuable plumes picked off the bushes and out of the mud. Those carefully concocted egret farm stories make lovely reading, but the reader who examines the evidence will soon decide the extent of their truthfulness. I think that they contain not even ten percent of truth, and I shall not rest until the stories of Leon Laglaise and Mayol Grisol have been put to the test in the regions where they originated. A few plumes may be picked out of the jungle, yes, but as for any commercial quantity, it is at present beyond belief. Besides, we have direct eye-witness testimony to the contrary. It must not be inferred that the friends of birds in England have been idle or silent in the presence of the London feather trade. On the contrary, the Royal Society for the Protection of Wild Birds and Mr. James Buckland have so strongly attacked the feather industry that the London Chamber of Commerce has felt called upon to come to its rescue. Mr. Buckland, on its own individual account, has done yeoman service to the cause, and his devotion to the birds and his tireless energy are both almost beyond the reach of praise in words. At the last moment before going to press, I learn that the bird's plumage bill has achieved the triumph of a first reading in Parliament, which looks as if success is at last in sight. The powerful pamphlet that he has written, published and circulated at his own expense, entitled Pros and Cons of the Plumage Bill, is a splendid effort. What a pity it is that more individuals are not similarly inspired to make independent effort in the protection cause. But, strange to say, few indeed are the men who have either the nerve or the ability to go it alone. On the introduction in Parliament of the bill to save the birds from the feather trade, it was opposed, through the efforts of the Chamber of Commerce, on the ground that if any bill against the sale of plumes should pass, and plumes could not be sold, the London business in wild bird skins and feathers would immediately be transferred to the continent. In the face of that devastating and altogether horrible prospect, and because the London feather dealers 
quote, need the money, end quote, the bill was at first defeated, to the great joy of the Chamber of Commerce and Mr. Downham, but the cause of birds will win in the end, because it is right. The feather dealers have been shrewdly active in the defence of their trade, and the methods they have employed for influencing public opinion have quite outshone those put forth by their brethren in America. I have before me a copy of a booklet bearing the name of Mr. C. F. Downham as the author, and the London Chamber of Commerce has loaned its good name as publisher. Altogether, it is a very shrewd piece of work, even though its arguments in justification of bird slaughter for the feather market are too absurd and weak for serious consideration. The chief burden of the defender of bird slaughter for millinery purposes is on account of the destruction of egrets and herons, but particularly the former. To offset as far as possible the absolutely true charge that egrets bear their best plumes in their breeding season, when the helpless young are in the nest, and the parent birds must be killed to obtain the plumes, the feather trade has obtained from three Frenchmen, Léon Laglaise, Maillot Grisol, and F. Gay, a beautiful and plausible story to the effect that in Venezuela the enormous output of egret plumes has been obtained by picking up off the bushes and out of the water and mud the shed feathers of those birds. According to the story, Venezuela is full of egret farms called garceros, where the birds breed and moult under strict supervision, and kindly drop their feathers in such places that it is possible to find them and to pick them up, in a high state of preservation. And we are asked to believe that it is these very Venezuelan picked-up feathers that command in London the high price of forty-four dollars per ounce. Mr. Laglaise is especially exploited by Mr. Downham as a French traveller of high standing and well known in the zoological museums of France. But, sad to say, when Professor Henry Fairfield Osborne cabled to the Museum of Natural History in Paris, inquiring about Mr. Laglaise, the cable flashed back the one sad word, inconnu. Unknown. I think it entirely possible that enough shed feathers have been picked up in the reeking swamps of Venezuela on the upper tributaries of the Orinoco to afford an excuse for the beautiful story of Mr. Laglaise. Any shrewd individual with money and the influence that money secures could put up just such a plant as I firmly believe has been put up by someone in Venezuela. I will guarantee that I could accomplish such a job in Venezuela or Brazil in four months' time at an expense not exceeding one thousand dollars. That the great supply of immaculately perfect egret plumes that annually come out of Venezuela could by any possibility be picked up in the swamps where they were shed and dropped by the egrets is entirely preposterous and incredible. The whole proportion is denounced by several men of standing and experience, none of whom are inconnu. As a sweeping refutation of the fantastic statements regarding Garceras, published by Mr. Downham as coming from Messrs. Laglaise, Grisol, and Gay, I offer the written testimony of an American gentleman who at this moment owns and maintains within a few yards of his residence a large preserve of snowy egrets and herons, the former representing the species which furnishes egret plumes exactly similar to those shipped from Venezuela and Brazil. If the testimony of Mr. McKillany is not sufficient to stamp the statements of the three Frenchmen quoted by Mr. Downham as absolute and thoroughly misleading falsehoods, then there is no such thing in this world as evidence. I suggest a perusal of the statements of the three Frenchmen who are quoted with such confidence by Mr. Downham and published by the Honourable Chamber of Commerce at London, and then a careful reading of the following letter. Avery Island, 
L.A., June 17, 1912. Dear Mr. Hornaday, I have before me your letter of June 8th, asking for information as to whether or no egrets shed their plumes at their nesting places in sufficient quantities to enable them to be gathered commercially. I most emphatically wish to state that it is impossible to gather at the nesting places of these birds any quantity of their plumes. I have, nesting within fifty yards of where I am now sitting dictating this letter, not less than twenty thousand pairs of the various species of herons and egrets, and there are fully two thousand and five hundred pairs of snowy herons nesting within my preserve. During the nesting season, which covers the months of April, May, and June, I am through this heronry in a small canoe almost every day, and often twice a day. I have had these herons under my close inspection for the past seventeen years, and I have not in any one season picked up or seen more than half a dozen discarded plumes. Such plumes as I have picked up I have kept on my desk and given to the people who were interested. I remember that last year I picked up four plumes of the snowy heron that were in one bunch. I think these must have been plucked out by the birds fighting. This year I have found only one plume so far. I enclose it herewith. You will notice that it is one of the shorter plumes, and is badly worn at the end, as have been all the plumes which I have picked up in my heronry. I am positive that it is not possible for natural shed plumes to be gathered commercially. I have a number of times talked with plume hunters from Venezuela and other South American countries, and I have never heard of any egret feathers being gathered by their being picked up after the birds have shed them. I have heard of a number of heronries in South America that are protected by the landowners for the purpose of gathering a yearly crop of egret plumes, but this crop is gathered always by shooting a certain percentage of the birds. This shooting is done by experts with twenty-two caliber rifles, and does not materially disturb the nesting colony. I have known of two men who have been engaged in killing the birds on large estates in South America, who were paid regular salaries for their services as egret hunters. Very truly yours, E. A. McKillany. I am more than willing to set the above against the fairy tale of Mr. Laglaise. Here is the testimony of A. H. Meyer, an ex-plume hunter, who for nine years worked in Venezuela. His sworn testimony was laid before the legislator of the state of New York in 1911, when the New York Millinery Association was frantically endeavouring to secure the repeal of the splendid Dutcher law. This witness was produced by the National Association of Ottoman Societies. Quote, My attention has been called to the fact that certain commercial interests in this city are circulating stories in their newspapers and elsewhere to the effect that the regrets used in the millinery trade come chiefly from Venezuela, where they are gathered from the ground in the large carceros, or breeding colonies, of white herons. I wish to state that I have personally engaged in the work of collecting the plumes of these birds in Venezuela. This was my business for the years 1896 to 1905 inclusive. I am thoroughly conversant with the methods employed in gathering egret and snowy heron plumes in Venezuela, and I wish to give the following statement regarding the practices employed in procuring these feathers. The birds gather in large colonies to rear their young. They have the plumes only during the mating and nesting season. After the period when they are employed in caring for their young, it is found that the plumes are virtually of no commercial value, because of the worn and frayed condition to which they have been reduced. It is the custom in Venezuela to shoot the birds while the young are in the nests. A few feathers of the large white heron, American egret, known as the Garza Blanca, 
can be picked up of a morning about their breeding-places, but these are of small value and are known as dead feathers. They are worth locally not over three dollars an ounce, while the feathers taken from the bird, known as live feathers, are worth fifteen dollars an ounce. My work led me into every part of Venezuela and Colombia where these birds are to be found, and I have never yet found or heard of any garceros that were guarded for the purpose of simply gathering the feathers from the ground. No such condition exists in Venezuela. The story is absolutely without foundation, in my opinion, and has simply been put forward for commercial purposes. The natives of the country, who do virtually all of the hunting for feathers, are not provident in their nature, and their practices are of a most cruel and brutal nature. I have seen them frequently pull the plumes from wounded birds, leaving the crippled birds to die of starvation, unable to respond to the cries of their young in the nests above, which were calling for food. I have known these people to tie and prop up wounded egrets on the marsh where they would attract the attention of other birds flying by. These decoys they keep in this position until they die of their wounds or from the attacks of insects. I have seen the terrible red ants of that country actually eating out the eyes of these wounded, helpless birds that were tied up by the plume-hunters. I could write you many pages of the horrors practiced in gathering egret feathers in Venezuela by the natives for the millinery trade of Paris and New York. To illustrate the comparatively small number of dead feathers which are collected, I will mention that in one year I and my associates shipped to New York eighty pounds of the plumes of the large heron and twelve pounds of the little recurved plumes of the snowy heron. In this whole lot there were not over five pounds of plumes that had been gathered from the ground, and these were of little value. The plume birds have been nearly exterminated in the United States and Mexico, and the same condition of affairs will soon exist in tropical America. This extermination will come about because of the fact that the young are left to starve in the nest when the old birds are killed, any other statement made by interested parties to the country notwithstanding. I am so incensed at the ridiculously absurd and misleading stories that are being published on this question that I want to give you this letter, and, before delivering it to you, shall take oath to its truthfulness. End quote. Here is a testimony of Mr. Caspar Whitney of New York, formerly editor of Outing Magazine and Outdoor America. Quote, During extended travel throughout South America, from 1903 to 1907 inclusive, I journeyed on three separate occasions by canoe, 1904 to 1907, on the lower Orinoco and Apure rivers, and their tributaries. This is the region, so far as Venezuela is concerned, in which is the greatest slaughter of white herons for their plumage, or more specifically for the marital plumes which are carried only in the mating and breeding season, and are known in the millinery trade as aigrettes. There is literally no room for question. The snowy herons are killed exactly as I describe. It is the custom of all those who hunt for the millinery trade, and is recognized by the natives as the usual method. End quote. Here is the testimony of Mr. Julian A. Dimmock, of Picamoose, New York, the famous outdoor photographer and illustrator of Florida enchantments. Quote, I know a goodly number of the plume hunters of Florida. I have camped with them and talked to them. I have heard their tales and even full accounts of the shooting up of an egret rookery. Never has a man in Florida suggested to me that plumes could be obtained without killing the birds. I have known the wardens, and have visited rookeries after they had been shot up, and the evidence all pointed to the everlasting use of the gun. 
it is certainly not true that the plumes can be obtained without killing the birds bearing them. Nineteen years ago I visited the Cuthbert Rookery with one of the men who discovered the birds nesting in that lake. He and his partner had sold the plumes gathered there for more than a thousand dollars. He showed me how they hid in the bushes and shot the birds. He even gave me a chance to watch him kill two or three birds. I know personally the man chiefly responsible for the slaughter of the birds at Alligator Bay. He laughed at the idea of getting plumes without killing the birds. I well know the man who shot the birds up Rogers River, and even saw some of the empty shells left on the ground by him. I have camped with Seminoles, Whites, Blacks, Outlaws, and those within the pale, connected with plume-hunting, and all tell the same story. The birds are shot to get the plumes. The evidence of my own eyes, and the action of the birds themselves, convinces me that there is not a shadow of doubt concerning this point. End quote. This sworn testimony from Mr. T. J. Ash of Key West, Florida, is very direct and to the point. Quote, I've seen many molted and dropped feathers from wild-plumed birds. I've never seen a molted or dropped feather that was fit for anything. It is the exception when a plumed bird drops feathers of any value while in flight. Whatever feathers are so dropped are those that are frayed, worn out, and forced out by the process of molting. The molting season is not during the hatching season, but is after the hatching season. The shedding or molting takes place once a year, and during this molting season the feathers, after having the hard usage of the year from wind, rain, and other causes, when dropped, are of absolutely no commercial value. End quote. Mr. Arthur T. Wayne of Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, relates in sworn testimony his experience in attempting to secure egret plumes without killing the birds. Quote, it is utterly impossible to get fifty egret plumes from any colony of breeding birds without shooting the birds. Last spring I went twice a week to a breeding colony of American and snowy egrets from early in April until June 8. Despite the fact that I covered miles of territory in a boat, I picked up but two American egret plumes, which I now have, but not a single snowy egret plume did I see, nor did my companion, who accompanied me on every trip. I saw an American egret plume on the water and left it purposely, to see whether it would sink or not. Upon visiting the place a few days afterwards, the plume was not in evidence, undoubtedly having sunk. The plumes are chiefly shed in the air while the birds are going to or coming from their breeding grounds. If that millinery plume law is repealed, the fate of the American and snowy egrets is sealed, for the few birds that remain will be shot to the very last one. End quote. Any man who ever has been in an egret rookery, and I have, knows that the above testimony is true. The French story of the beautiful and smoothly running egret farms in Venezuela is preposterous, save for a mere shadow of truth. I do not say that no egret plumes could be picked up, but I do assert that the total quantity obtainable in one year in that way would be utterly trivial. No, the ospreys of the British feather market come from slaughtered egrets and herons, killed in the breeding season. Let the British public and the British Parliament make no mistake about that. If they wish the trade to continue, let it be based on the impregnable ground that the merchants want the money, and not on a fantastic dream that is too silly to deceive even a child that knows birds. The use or disuse of wild birds' plumage as millinery ornaments is another of those wildlife subjects regarding which there is no room for argument. To assert that the feather dealers want the business for the money it brings them is not argument. We have seen many a steamroller go over truth and right and justice by main strength and red-hot power, 
but truth and right refuse to stay flat down. There is on this earth not one wild animal species, mammal, bird or reptile, that can long withstand exploitation for commercial purposes. Even the whales of the deep sea, the walrus of the arctic regions, the condors of the Andes, and alligators of the Everglade morasses are no exception to the universal rule. In Mr. Downham's book there is much fallacious reasoning, and many conclusions that are not borne out by the facts. For example, he says that no species of birds of paradise has been diminished in number by slaughter for the feather trade, that Florida still contains a supply of egrets, that a decrease in bird life should be charged to the spread of cities, towns and farms, and not to the trade, that the trade was in no way responsible for the slaughter of three hundred thousand gulls and albatrosses on Laysan Island. I have space to notice one other important erroneous conclusion that Mr. Downham publishes in his book on page 105. He says, quote, The destruction of birds in foreign countries is something that no trade can direct or control. End quote. This is an amazing declaration, and absolutely contrary to experience. Let me prove what I say by a fresh and incontestable illustration. Prior to April 1911, when Governor Dix signed the Bain Law against the sale of wild native game in the state of New York, Curtick County, North Carolina, was a vast slaughter pen for wildfowl. No power or persuasion had availed to induce the people of North Carolina to check or regulate or in any manner mitigate that slaughter of geese, ducks, and swans. It was estimated that 200,000 wildfowl were annually slaughtered there. We who advocated the Bain Law said, Close the New York markets against Curitic birds, and you will stop a great deal of the slaughter. We cleaned our Aegean stable. The greatest game market in America was absolutely closed. Last winter, 1911, the annual killing of wildfowl was fully 50% less than during previous years. In one small town, 20 professional duck shooters went entirely out of business, because they couldn't sell their ducks. The dealers refused to buy them. The result was exactly what we predicted it would be, and this year it is reported over and over that ducks are more plentiful in New England than they have been in twenty years previously. The result is wonderful, because so quick. Beyond all question, the feather merchants of London, Paris and Berlin absolutely control the bird-killers of Venezuela, China, New Guinea, Mexico and South America. Let the word go forth that the trade is no longer permitted to buy and sell egret and heron plumes, skins of birds of paradise and condor feathers, and presto, the killing industry falls dead the next moment. Yes, indeed, members of the British Parliament, it is easily within your power to wipe out at a single stroke fully one-half of the bird slaughter for fancy feathers. It can be done just as we wiped out one-half the annual duck slaughter in wickedly wasteful North Carolina. The feather trade absolutely does control the killing situation. Now, will the people of England clean house by controlling the feather trade? If a hundred species of the most beautiful birds of the world must be exterminated for the feather trade, let the odium rest elsewhere than on the people of England. The bird lovers of America may rest assured that the bird lovers of England, a mighty host, are neither careless nor indifferent regarding the wild bird's plumage business. On the contrary, several bills have been brought before Parliament intended to regulate or prohibit traffic, and a measure of vast importance to the birds of the world is now before the House of Commons. It is backed by Mr. Percy Alden, MP, by the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, by the Silburn Society, and by Mr. James Buckland, 
a host in himself. For years past that splendidly equipped and well-managed royal society has waged ceaseless warfare for the birds. Its activity has been tremendous, and its membership list contains many of the finest names in England. The address of the Honorary Secretary, Frank E. Lemon, Esquire, is 23 Queen Anne's Gate, London, Southwest. Naturally, these influences are opposed by the textile trade section of the London Chamber of Commerce, and their only argument consists of the plea that if London doesn't get the money out of the feather trade, the continent will get it. A reasonable, logical, magnificent, and convincing excuse for wholesale bird slaughter, truly. Mr. Buckland has been informed from the continent that the people of France, Germany, the Netherlands, and Belgium are waiting and watching to see what England is going to do with the question, to slaughter or not to slaughter. For England has no monopoly of the bird's plumage trade, not by any means. Says Mr. Buckland, in Pros and Cons of the Plumage Bill, page 17, quote, As regards the vast majority of fancy feathers used in millinery, the continent receives its own supplies. The feathers of the hundreds of thousands of albatrosses which are killed in the North Pacific all go to Paris. Of the untold thousands of magpies, owls, and other species which come from Peru, not one skin or feather crosses the channel. The white herons of the upper Senegal and the Niger are being rapidly exterminated at the instigation of the feather merchants, but not one of the plumes reaches London. Paris receives direct a large supply of aigrettes from South America and elsewhere. The millions of swallows and other migratory birds which are killed annually as they pass through Italy, France and Spain on their way north supply the millinery trade of Europe with an incredible quantity of wings and other plumage, but none of it is distributed from London. London, as a distributing centre, has no monopoly of the trade in raw feathers. Mr. Buckland's green-covered pamphlet is a powerful document, and both his facts and its conclusions seem to be unassailable. The author's address is Royal Colonial Institute, Northumberland Avenue, London, W.C., the duty of the civilized nations of Europe is perfectly plain. The savage and bloody business in feathers torn from wild birds should be stopped, completely and forever. If the commons will not arise and reform the odious business out of existence, then the kings and queens and presidents should do their plain duty. In the suppression of a world crime like this, it is clearly a case of noblesse oblige. End of chapter 13